Then he slunk to the icebox. He took the Who's Feast. He took the Who Pudding. He took the Roast Beast. You're the knights who say... Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of Outlaw Radio USA, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area. Following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, true crime, uncensored. Over there, oh God, Howard Lapidus, manager to the star. Yeah, thanks, Burl. Mark C.G. Boyer, fact checker. I know you're not listening because you just don't listen. I've learned my lesson not to listen. Okay. We rushed to get here. The audience rushed to be here at 2 o'clock. Yeah. And you were lollygagging, getting soda pop. I wasn't gagging. I have an excellent gag reflex. You were lollygagging. And, and and here we are, three or four minutes late, and our guest has been waiting. And Speaking of our guest, wearing the white trunks, weighing in it slightly more than he wishes he did, is Joe Bruno. I always wear the black trunks. Oh, you always had the black trunks? Yes. Yeah, so the Dark night. <laughs> but but what, what kind of robe? That's the thing. What was the robe like? It was satin. Black satin. There we go. Knights in black satin. I thought he got me a present when I was uh, 30 years old in black satin boxing robe. Yeah. This guy, our guest today, not only knows all about the mob, but knows all about boxing. And later on in the program... Let me correct you there. I haven't been following boxing too much lately. It's such a... Um, oh, there's no sport, sport left. Is there a sport left? I mean, it's, it's a... I tried to get rid of Don King 35, 40 years ago. He's still kicking, and Bob Aaron, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're hitting there, Howard. It's it. It's it. Yeah. Well, but uh, you haven't followed boxing lately, but they're probably following you. What about the mob? Uh, Does the mob follow you? You've written like 34, 35 books... Most of them about the mob. 30, uh, altogether around 36 or four of them were novels. Well, we won't count the novels today. Right. <laughs> we'll just talk Nobody about... else counted the novels either. Yeah, we'll talk about my novels later. <laughs> well, your novelties. Now, my novels, yeah, I have some adult novelties I brought with me for later in the program. But <laughs> What's the latest one you got, Joe? What's the, what's the newest mob book you got? Uh, the last one I wrote is called Crazy Joe Gallo, The Mafia's Greatest Hits, Volume 2. Oh. And uh, there was a f- very famous story in 1972. It made the cover of Time magazine. He was shot to death on, in Umberto's restaurant on the corner of Mulberry and Hester. And I actually, that was my neighbor. I lived there for 48 years. And I was actually in Umberto's about four hours before he got killed. Wow, you could have been hit by a stray bullet. Well, he went in there for some, some uh, scongillies, and he went about a beer case of lead poisoning. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that could have been severe. Who was the, uh, God, do you remember, who was where they accidentally shot his twin brother? An actor that shot his twin brother? No, no, they, they, they went to kill him, and they killed his twin brother instead. Not this guy, another no, guy. No, that was another guy. That was another guy. Why are you bringing this up today? I don't know, I just thought about it. Right, what think, think, that is? Yeah. I don't know. Think again, Burl. And maybe it was uh, Morris Chess. I don't know. Uh, and, and again with the not funny. 
All right. I'll, okay. I'll shut up. Yeah, no, don't please. You might be the one to save the show today. <laughs> I seriously doubt yeah, well, oh, that's... thanks, Mark. You want to start with me now? <laughs> hang on, Joe. Hang on one second. Oh. Mark, you want to see some fighting, Joe? Here we go. <laughs> this is boxing. Oh, I didn't get your caller's name. Mark. 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 Over here okay. in the corner. Yeah, Mark's in the corner. I'm the cut guy. I'm, I'm Howard, and that's Burl Bear, the legendary. Yeah. And we're talking. Hey, about... in Los Angeles. Yeah, we're, we're, in, yeah. we're in Los Angeles area in our secret bunker. I spent a year in Los Angeles one weekend. There we go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Joe Bruno is here. Yeah, he's in the house. <laughs> well, okay, we know the latest one is about Crazy Joe. Joey, now, what was the first one you did? Oh, Jesus, so many. What I started doing about 10 years ago was just doing uh, a book with like 30, 40 different stories. It was called Monsters, Gangs, Crooks, and Other Creeps. I did five volumes of that. Where I was, the first book had like 67 small vignettes about mobsters in, you know, in New, all of New York City. And then the second book I got down to like 30. And the third book I got down to like 20. And then I decided, just let me just write one. It was, they're very popular. They sound like mad. But now what I'm doing is concentrating on one person per book. Do you go back and recycle some of the ones from the earlier books? I'm sorry? Do you go back and recycle some of the characters from the vignettes? No, no, no. These are real characters. Oh, yeah, if, 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 it's fit, if it fits. Like, for instance, a lot of these guys, you know, lived and died with each other. If I write a book about uh, Middle Cole, I got to mention him in a book about Lucky Luciano. Right. Right. He wasn't that. Well, I guess he was fairly lucky. Who's that? Lucky. Lucky Luciano. He's a very lucky guy. <laughs> That's probably why they call him that. No, actually, what happened? That he was Salvatore Maranzano was was battling Salvatore Joe Boss Mazzaria for control of the mafia in New York City, and Maranzano took left uh, Lucky out to like some desolate place in Staten Island and left him for dead, and then he went up living, so they call him Lucky. Uh-huh. Let, me, let me ask you a question, Lucky Lucky Luciano. When he died, did he have money? At the Naples Airport, I'm sure he had money, sure. He, when it happened, it's a very interesting story. He was, Thomas E. Dewey was the New York district attorney, later became governor of New York, and then barely lost the presidential election to Harry Truman. Right. Uh, Luciano was framed by Dewey in 1935 on a prostitution charge. That's right. Okay, Luciano had absolutely nothing to do with prostitution. They couldn't get him anything else. Mm-hmm. And what they did, they got a whole bunch of prostitutes and pimps, and they said... Lucky's your boss or you're going to jail. Make a long story short, he gets 35 years, the longest sentence ever given for prostitution. And, and he had nothing uh, zero to do. They had nothing to do with that business at all. And now Dewey set him up. Right. Two years later, the World War II started, and the Normandy, which was an American troop ship that used to be a French luxury liner, was bombed in New York Harbor. And Lucky Luciano and Mayor Lancey got a bright idea to contact the authorities and say, look, we control the docks. We'll make sure this never happens again. Mm-hmm. But when the war's over, Lucky has got to get out of jail. Mm. What they didn't know is that Lucky's doing to bomb the ship in the first place. Right. Oh. <laughs> okay? So now he gets out in 45. They deport him to... Uh, he got even by... He, he deported him to Italy. It's an able to be exact. And But there was like a lot of money exchanged hands from the mob to, to Dewey's presidential campaign run when they lost. Oh, no kidding. And so Lucky, Lucky used to sneak into Cuba and meet all his friends, but he never went back to the United States. If he died, with, I'm sure he died with money because he was getting envelopes every month people were bringing over overseas. But he, obviously, they were robbing him, and you know, they weren't getting what he was supposed to get. 
What uh, what would ha- what would have happened to his money when he died? His girlfriend would have taken it. Okay. And what because of, in Italy. A lot of these mobster guys, I ask them, you know, what about the money? They go, well, they're spending the money as fast as they're getting it. Let me tell you something. Rocky Marciano, the great heavyweight champion, died because he was cheap. He was taking a, a regular airplane, made a friend at the airport, gave a charter, the plane crashed, and he died. Years later, his wife found like $200,000 hidden in the house. So not only mafia guys do that. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, Rocky was cheap. That's he died he, because uh, he was cheap. Cost him his life. He cheaped himself to death. He cost, cost him his life. Yeah, he was on a he, he was on a regular airliner. Charter. Char- yeah, he was at the airport. He met a friend. The guy said, "I got my own charter." Oh, come on for free. And he, yeah, exactly. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah, he could have. And, and Dion lived because he was cheap. You know the story about Dion, the, the mutual chief of Dion, no, the Belmont. No, the the singer. Go ahead. He Did, was touring with. Um, the Big Bopper and... Uh, Richie Valens. Richie Valens. And what's the other guy? The, the, the guy with the glasses. Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Holly. And they were, the dead of winter, they were traveling by bus from place to place to place. And Buddy Holly decided to charter a plane. And they, they, they you know, pick the cards and Dion wins. He's going to get on the plane. But it was like an extra $30. He said, I ain't going for the $30. And a guy that was in a band took his place and they all died. Yep. Moral of the Famous, story. Uh, you the never day, know. The, the day the you music, never know. The day the music died. Yeah. Right. Always draw always draw the That's Mark high Boyer there squeaking in the background. What is it, Mark? Always draw the high cards. You can have a choice. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no, seriously. Do you we're talking about something completely different? <laughs> <laughs> no. He drew the high card, he had a choice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. That's the moral. He said I ain't going for the thirty bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you also write about rats and squealers. Yes, I have different uh, series of books. I have Mob Rats is one series. I have Mob Malls, Beautiful Broad of Yeah, I was going to oh. ask you about the Mob Malls. I have Mob Rats. I have that. I have... What else? I got... I'm even forgetting what I got. Right now, I'm doing the Mafia's Greatest Hits. Yes. No, no, wait a minute. So I've done books on the Rosenbergs, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, who, by the way, lived where I lived in New York City in the Knickerbocker Village. But I had moved there much later. They, got, they were arrested in 50. They got executed in 53. And I moved from Little Italy, which is only about half a mile away. They're, they're the, the only people to be uh, executed for treason, is that correct? I don't, uh, only people to do you know, the last century, I guess. I mean, yeah. it was really an unusual situation. Now, I've got to ask you about uh, the... Well, hey, i got to back up for a second, what? bro. On the Rosenbergs, how did, how did they mix into what you... I mean, you're, you're, you're right about the mafia now. How, how come? I decided to write about, about mob malls, and I, I considered her a mob mall. Explain that and explain why. He was part of the conspiracy to steal the atom bomb. Yeah, but how does that make him a mall? I don't know. Good question. <laughs> Actually, that was a standalone book. I'm just remembering. I mean, what did I say? It's a standalone book. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. It's a standalone want, book. Yeah, right. that's fine. Uh, now I want to talk about the malls. Uh, I don't mean like a you know, mall of America. It's M-O-L. Yeah. I think I, we're talking. Uh, <laughs> what about if I did a whole book on Bonnie Parker? You'd have to consider her a mall. Now, how, yeah, I wouldn't consider Virginia Hill, I did a whole book on Virginia Hill. She's a mall. Yeah. Now, on the, the other malls, the lesser malls, the strip malls, shall we say, uh, how do you research that? I mean, because I'm a true crime writer myself. I, in my, I'm in my office right now. I must have, let me just look around, 300 books. The closets are filled, the tables are filled, my bookshelves are filled. I, I wrote, and, well, one of, one of them I wrote about, Arlene Brink, Weiss Brinkman. 
She actually ratted out the the, the Club of Crime family in the 80s. She lived in Knickerbocker Road, too. So what, when she ratted him out, what happens to her? She's still around. She's still around. She's 90 years old. She's living someplace. Yeah, someone's Probably able to Miami. catch up with her. You gotta understand something. <laughs> this, this, this myth that the mafia kills rats is just not true anymore. And what? It's a little squeal. Nobody cares. If you didn't rat on me, why would I go kill you? Well, you wouldn't. She's living nice. I, mean, I know of 20 other rats that are living nice. They're all writing books. <laughs> she's living nice. What? How could she at 90? What, what, what do you consider living nice? She's well, in a home. She could get up in the morning and have a bowel moment. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> so can I. Not <laughs> hers, of that's course. That's you do, bro. <laughs> but she was one of the bravest. Not bravest. She was a real piece of garbage. But she had no problem wearing wires. Right in, right in mafia clubs. So when you call somebody like that a piece of garbage, you're, you're kind of taking sides, right? Oh, no, all rats are pieces of garbage. Okay. Okay. What all was rats. The, what was the payoff for her? Why did she do it? She got raped. Uh, she, she was raped in a place called the Wagon Wheel in, in, uh, in midtown Manhattan. And uh, she decided at that point, well, then she had a boyfriend. He beat her up. But she decided she got arrested for, for drugs. And rather than go to jail, she decided to be a rat. Oh, that's common. It's usually, it's usually they turn rats when they when they're facing the jail time. Usually, some sometimes people just volunteer to be rats. Who'd she give up? A couple of guys, well, not John Gotti, but a couple of guys that worked for John Gotti. Um, there was a, I forget the guy's name. Guy, there was they were in the Colombo crime family. So it was Junior Persico's family. A bunch of guys in that family she gave up, and they all went to jail. See, now my advice is if you know someone who's been popped. You go look at their their uh, the court record. If it says released to another agency, don't take their calls. Or if you're in jail and you see somebody disappear in the middle of the night. Yeah, and and they don't go to trial. Right. <laughs> yeah, happens. I'm telling you, there's been more rats in the past ten to fifteen years than in the previous two thousand years. How how much of the mafia is there now? It's still there. I mean, I I know quite a few myself, but it's still there. Just not as Strong because everybody. Nobody, in the old days, everybody could trust everybody. Nobody was a rat. Joe Valachi became the first rat. Oh, I wrote a book about Joe Valachi, though. And Jimmy the Weasel, Fradiana, being another rat. I wrote about a book about him, too. In the old days, there was a, a murder. You don't rat your friends out. Nowadays, they would, they would rat their mother out if they could stay out of jail. So you've done very well by rats. By writing about rats. Yes. Yeah. By right. Yeah, absolutely. Do the rats cooperate? I'm looking for more. You know anybody? <laughs> yeah, I've actually, yeah, unfortunately. We do, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, we do. <laughs> but I don't talk to him it's anymore. Angeles, I don't be surprised. Yeah, the, this is the, the king of rats are all, all here. Yeah, they have like a rats protection program. Is there, is there, uh, is, is I the, know, the head of the mafia in, in Los Angeles for a while. Is, is there any mafia here? Yeah, the head of the mafia, we t- took over from Jack Dragna in, the, I guess it would be the late 50s, early 60s. So they're still going in L.A.? I'm sure. Okay. They have to be. There's still meat and uh, records, aren't there? <laughs> no. Sure. No, there's not. <laughs> there's no, the, more, no more meat and no, no more, I mean, no more record, 45 RPM. I, I knew the guys in the record business. They're all gone. In all seriousness. Well, yeah, what was, the, what was the, the Jewish guy's name that was a mafia guy? Morris something. Morris uh, Levy. 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 Morris, Morris Levy. Levy. Yeah, he was really mobbed up. He screwed a lot of entertainers, including guys like Frankie Lyman. And, and uh, uh, the guy who brought the little baby to sleep. Casey, yeah, the guy from Casey and the Sunshine Giant Boys wrote a book about how the mafia controlled his career. 
Yeah. Well, the guy, the guy who did "Rock a Little Baby to Sleep," his uh, name slips my mind. He he goes to Boris and says, "Where where where are my royalties?" And he takes out a, a thirty-eight out of his desk and puts it on the table yeah. and says, they, "They robbed them blind." <laughs> These are your right. He goes to Canada. He never came back. Well, a lot of guys went to Canada. Come to avoid the Vietnam War. Yeah, well, I thought of that too. <laughs> I, I I know friends of guys friends of mine a little earlier who did that. I joined the Navy instead. Uh, I lived in Canada during the seventies, and everybody thought that's what I was doing there. But the, <laughs> the truth is, is I. What would I have done had I gotten drafted? That's the. <laughs> well, I, I my family's been in the army, and they've World War Two, Korean War, and I wasn't taking enough credits. To, I was, was going to college, not to college. You got to take fifteen credits a semester. I was right. working full time in MetLife insurance company, and all I could really—I mean—to fit in nights, you only could fit in six or nine credits a semester. So when I found out I was one A, I said, "Let me join the Navy." Yeah. <laughs> I wound up doing six years in the Navy. No yeah. kidding. And you went to Vietnam? Three years active, three years reserve. And you, you were in Vietnam? Yes. How many Nine t- months aboard the USS Constellation. I was a parachute rigger. I hope you packed them properly. Just, just... I, I put a little note in the chute. If this doesn't work properly, bring it back and we'll give you another one. <laughs> did, you, nice did, you, did you go ashore often? Uh, Vietnam, no. no. We would get like, when you're in the war zone, and I worked on the flight deck. That was the most dangerous job in the world. You'd work 12 hours a day for like, you know, four, five, six weeks in a row with no days off. And then they'd let you loose in some place like Hong Kong for four days. Tell us and about that. And then you got drunk for four days. Yeah, tell us that's you come back it. with some nice suits? I'm sorry? You come back with some nice suits from Hong uh, Kong. Oh, I got some beautiful suits in Hong Kong. Beautiful. Yeah, me too. I got a lime green sport jacket I brought back. Lime green, imagine that. Yeah, we're with talking. white pants and white leather shoes. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was John Travolta. <laughs> Three more guys, and you've got you've got a, you've got a band. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to touch briefly here, although it won't be briefly once Matt gets involved, because you and our producer Magic Matt Allen have a, a common friend. Who's that? Mr. Sugar. Oh, he's a good friend of mine, Bert Sugar. May he rest in peace. Yeah. I used to work for Big Magazine. I was a. Uh, I, I, I used to do a daily column for a newspaper called The News World in New York City. It later became the New York Tribune, which is owned by the Unification Church, Reverend Sung Young Moon. And I, uh, the funny thing is, my nickname in my neighborhood my, when I was five years old was Mooney. But to make a long story short, Barry, you know, hired me to do a, a monthly column in Ring Magazine and also at, in, he owned Boxing Illustrated at the time. In fact, one night we get so drunk, it was after a fight in New York City, and that's where God Bert slept over my apartment in Knickerbocker Village. He slept with the hat on all night. Yeah. In fact, that's, that, that's not a hat. That's his head. His head just looks like that. <laughs> just looking for a fight. Yeah, you getting fights in the bars? Uh, how, how did your producer know him? Uh, Matt, how did you know him? Mm, for, year, for years. Years he knew him. Met from him, where, from met him at a uh, Met him at an Irish bar. What, in, in New York City? Yeah. Yeah, he used to, he, when he got fired from Boxing Illustrated Ring Magazine, he, he used to work out of, out of a place called, I think it was O'Reilly's. No, no, O'Looney's. Oh, no, it wasn't O'Looney's. I mean, he might have went there, but it was O'Reilly's. He loved O'Looney's. It was on 31st Street up the block from uh, where Ring Magazine was. Yeah. And I used to meet him there like once a week, and you know, I give him a hand on my copy, and we get drunk. <laughs> Great guy. Great guy. <laughs> drunk, I mean, we used to go to the Boxing Riders luncheons, and we used to just, Well, that's a wonderful recommendation. Hey, we're going to take a 60-second break.
can one guy be? I kissed her and she kissed me Like the fella once said Ain't that a kick in the head? The room was completely black I hugged her and she hugged back Like the sailor said, quote Ain't that a hole in a boat? It's time for bird shit. It's not just what you read on your internet since I don't have one. I do everything bass backwards anyway. Why can't I, re- I do that? It's story. In the days of old, we would repair to a bar after a game and tell stories to recapture the game. cell phone, and I know you do because you probably got Grinder on there, but it's time for you to add another app. That app would be for Outlaw Radio through the courtesy of RadioLoyalty.com. My suggestion is that you upload that app for free, mind you. Yes, totally free app. In order to be able to listen to us, the Demons of Decadence, every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 6 Pacific Standard Time or Pacific Daylight Time, and you'll have the opportunity to listen to us smoke drink and interrupt each other, which we do a really good job of doing. So once again, RadioLoyalty.com to pick up your free app of Outlaw Radio. Once again, this is Frank. So get off a grinder and get on to Outlaw. Nice. I am the legendary Burl Bear, taking time out of my busy schedule. Got a special deal for you right now. My uh, true crime, brilliant masterpiece, <laughs> Body Count, the true story of the Spokane serial killer, just became an audiobook from listenupaudiobooks.com, and it's debut special for people who listen to this show. It's 20% off. You go to listenupaudiobooks.com slash body count, and when you buy it, you put in the discount code OUTLAWCRIME and you get 20% off. Heck of a deal. So if you want a 20% off my latest audiobook of Body Count, you do that. And if you're not on audible.com yet, if you go to audible.com, you can get a free copy of Man Overboard, The Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne when you sign up. So it's a heck of a deal all the way around. So get my books and get Joe Bruno's books. And, uh, boy, you'll be so well read it'll be disgusting because someone will be reading it to you because those will be some of them are audio books and some of them you get to read yourself with your own one or two eyes. Back to True Crime Uncensored. That's right. <laughs> This is the dangerous part of the program, Joe. This is I hear dead air. That's very bad in radio. Dead air. Dead air? That's all you heard was dead air for how long? About three seconds. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like three hours. <laughs> yeah, it felt like three hours. Are you going to do me a favor? Yeah. I see on your on your page here that you're friends with Paris Hilton. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should figure that out. Who to get an introduction? I haven't actually met her. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Well, I got a job for you. You got a job for me? You got to meet him and introduce her to me. Really? Place in the next room. Yeah. The, uh, the only direct contact I have with her is through, uh, what's his name? Oh, you know who I mean. Lori knows her. Lori knows her? Okay, we do have a contact. Our producer's uh, main squeeze, Lori Downey Jr. She's uh, not going to help you, though. But she's not going to help you. No, I had enough trouble just... I have a picture of her on my wall right now. I'm looking at it. She's tall, you know, and big boned. Is she really tall? Yeah, she's tall and big boned. Like six foot? But not bin boned, but big boned. Oh, six foot like tall. How tall is she? She must be, what, 5'8", something like that? Five that's, nine. Not, that's not tall. Five, five She's ten. Very nice, actually. See, Howard, no, you know Howard. You know her, Howard. Yeah. Okay, Howard uh, knows her. I, I went out with a girl. One girl was six one, and I went another girl was six foot. Yeah. How, I don't tall, put how, me tall, up how tall are you, Joe? How tall are you, Joe? Me, I'm five eight. That's short enough. <laughs> Featuring <laughs> Mark C G Boyer. I'm five eight, and I played basketball twice in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> when no one was there. No, no, well, before the, in the old days, uh, I used to play college, high school ball, Hunter College. But I played for Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, and we used to play once a year. Before the Knicks played at eight, we'd play at six, and so I played once in the old garden, once in the new garden. Hey, I noticed that. Uh, excuse me, I was here at seven. No, I was going to ask. It must have been a thrill to be a kid in New York playing. Oh yeah, Are you kidding me? I was nineteen years old, and I was I was nineteen, and the second second year, this guy on the team was thir- was twenty five. Hold on. In high school? I I graduated Carter Lane's High School. I was going to Hunter College. But I had to work so I could eat, and you know what I'm saying? So I could live, I had to work. So I worked for MetLife, and I tried out for the varsity, and I made it. Oh, there you go. Okay. What position did you play? Shooting guard at 5A, which is even worse. Yeah. Hey, I noticed that one of your friends, aside from me, of course, is Lawrence Block. Good friend of mine. Yeah. I did a course off him going back 30 years, and we still keep in touch. Yeah, yeah. So does, uh, we were on a panel together. It was called the Smart Ass Authors Panel. <laughs> well, he, he used to have uh, a writing course called Write for Your Life. It wasn't about writing, but how to motivate yourself for writing. And I met him, I guess, the first time around 1882 or something at a hotel. He, it was like a weekend thing. It took two days, and uh, we've remained, remained in touch since. I, he comes to Saras. I live in Sarasota, Florida. And he's been here a few times, and I, whenever he's here, I see him. Yeah, he's a great guy. Great oh, guy. wonderful. And his wife, too, Lynn. I haven't met his wife, but I've... Uh, She's writing now, too, by the way. Oh, she is. Well, yeah, she she, she gets training. Of, uh, <laughs> short story books coming out, and she's one of the writers. Hmm. Of course, he's got a great book out about how to write your novel. Oh, that, that's what, I read that 35 years ago. Yeah, he's updated it now. Yeah, he, 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 well, I, he, I'm on his mailing list. Yeah, he's, uh, he's quite... He's got another one, Writing Lives of Fun and Profit. Yeah, yeah, and that's really, that's why I tell people is you don't want to lie to a writer, to an author, because we know how to write lies. We know how to, <laughs> we know how to write fiction. And, you know, this is one of my little soapboxes, so forgive me for a moment. But as incredible Hooper for someone to think that they can, off the cuff, create perfectly crafted fiction off the top of their head. In other words, a lie. Without, without it falling apart after the first question, if you know what to ask. Right. And so I always, when someone starts to, you know, go to give me a story, I say, hey, I write for a living. I can do my own stories. 
Don't humiliate so, 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 How many times have you been asked to, to, to write somebody else's biography? Oh, um, uh, it's a few times. Every week I get asked. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, doing someone's biography right now. See, I can't do that. I, I, just, I, I do my own stuff. I don't want to... Just don't want to do anybody else. Who are you doing? I'm doing Leonard Bouchel, uh, founder of uh, Writers and Treatment of the Real Recovery Film Festival. Okay. I'm talking about people like, like, like mob guys. No. Nah. No, no, no! I don't. Uh, I don't get approached by mob guys except when they're armed and dangerous. Everybody thinks they got a story. Yeah, I always ask people, "How does it end?" Uh, uh, you know, what I tell everybody, "Look, I, that's not what I do. Go to guru.com or elan.com, get a ghostwriter." Yeah. You know what they're shocked to find out is that ghostwriters charge a hell of a lot of money. Twenty to forty, fifty grand. That's right. Because if I'm ghostwriting a book, that's time I'm not spending writing exactly. one of my own. A lot of it's a racket, too, by the way. Yeah, and who can blame us? Yeah. <laughs> we got to make a living. I don't, I don't admire a guy who's not a crook. <laughs> well, you certainly... I you out of more I admire you. Now, uh, speaking of crooks, so you write all of these uh, mob books. Uh, have you ever feared any repercussions or anybody come after you and said, don't no, write about No, because I write about everybody that's dead. Good thinking. Now, I, uh, we asked Gloria Durante, who wrote... Uh, of the company she keeps. And she says she was more worried about repercussions from the feds than she was from the mob. Would, Be- wouldn't, it's at Georgia. It would I, I can give you a half hour on how incompetent the FBI is. Well, she said that her job was to deliver money to the feds who were laundering for the mob. Yeah. I can tell you st- horror stories about the mob. You, you know Donnie Brasco, the movie Donnie Brasco? Mm-hmm. With, with about Joe Pistone was Donnie Brasco. Right. The Lefty Guns, the guy that was played by Abacino, <clears throat> he was two floors above me in the same building for 20 years. Oh. And uh, I owned the parking lot in Lilitly, which is actually Nickelback Road. It's the, it's the Fort Ward, not the Sixth Ward, about half a mile away. And I'd see Donnie Brasco in the elevator visiting Lefty. And I go to a bar and I'd see him there. You would never know this guy was an FBI agent. He contacted oh. me about two years ago. And he asked me if I wanted to do a book with him. So this is on Facebook. You don't know on Facebook. It could be Marilyn Monroe or it could be like Sophie Tucker. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So I asked him enough questions that if he wasn't Donnie Brasco, he was somebody from my neighborhood. <clears throat> and I told him two things. Number one, I write alone. I don't write with anybody. Number two, if I was to write with somebody, it wouldn't be you. <laughs> <laughs> but if my neighborhood in jail, now you want me to write with you? Yeah. Yeah. So he's still around, that guy? Yeah, he's still around. Yeah. He's writing books. Oh, good. Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's like Mark Furman. <laughs> yeah, there's one. Mark Furman, he's still around, too, that guy, huh? Yeah, I, I had a situation with him. We both wrote a book about the same case. Uh, Spokane Serial Killer Robert Lee Yates. That's my book, Body Count, which the audiobook just came out. I was talking about it a minute ago. Uh-huh. And uh, when I showed up in Spokane to write the book, uh, he had just written his. And they were, the Homicide Task Force was so pissed at him that they were almost ready to take out their anger on me for being a writer. And I had to promise them and prove to them I was nothing like him. <laughs> that a fun, I, I see him on uh, Fox TV a lot as a so-called analyst. Oh, jeez. And he just annoys me. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, the Homicide Task Force was about ready to make him a victim. They were so pissed at him. Well, if O.J. Simpson didn't kill uh, Nicole Simpson, you never would have heard of Furman. Yeah. No, of course not. Yes. And, and you're saying you're saying O.J. killed her, right? Oh, absolutely. Everybody knows that. Well, no, no, not see, me. I got a guy here, Burl. Who's, who's that? The, uh, Burl Bear, the host of the show. 
You don't think he killed her? No. I mean, personally, his son did the killing, Ah. but he ordered the killing. No, I believe that it was done to him, not by him. Said it was done to what? Done to him more than by him. The murder? Yeah. Uh, interesting. If you uh, get a chance, uh, go on Mixcloud uh, to where my name is. Look up my name, and there's a short clip from a, a longer interview I did with uh, crime writer Stephen Singular on why the uh, jury found him not guilty. And that's, that's absolutely true. They found him not guilty in the criminal case and guilty in the civil case. Yeah, that's there's different standards there. But, right. w- but why the jury found him not guilty in the criminal case? And because the, the, because the, the prosecutors were morons. Well, it was... Uh, actually, if you listen, and the judge, Ito, was a moron. What it came down to was the blood sample evidence. That that's what uh, that's that's what did it. It was the preservative in the uh, in the uh, evidence. That that was what the the jury so said you, afterwards. So you, you don't think he had anything to do with his wife's murder? No, I actually I don't. All right. no, I don't mind me. being wrong, but that's he, my current position. He did. I met OJ a few times. Not the nicest guy in the world. No, no, not the nicest guy in the world. Because like, I was a member of the downtown Letter club, the Heisman Trophy, the Heisman Trophy winner. So I see him just about every year when he wasn't playing ball. Not a, not a, that smile's all well, He had, like, Sugar Ray Leonard, the phony smile. Yeah, I mean, what a nice guy. Yeah, they, call a nice that the guy. Pred- they call that the predator smile. That's yeah, Sugar the, Ray Leonard had the, the same cheeks smile. go up and it shows the teeth, <laughs> but it doesn't light up the eyes. I, I would say the odds are a thousand to one. He had, had nothing to do with his wife's going. Yeah, well, we'll maybe find out someday. Me, according uh, to the he, LAPD, the case is still he's, open. They got in, he's in jail for 20 years on something stupid. I know on something real stupid. He robbed his own Heisman Trophy back. His own, his own I don't want my back. Do you think anyone else would have got that much time for stealing their own trophy back? No, no, you're getting even from getting funny. This is the time of the murder. Yeah, it sounds like double indemnity. <laughs> yeah, that was a movie. Yeah. I, by the way, I actually wrote a story about the people that double indemnity was based upon. Oh, I didn't know it was based on. Oh, yeah, it was based on the, the, the Dumbbell Murders, Ruth Brown, uh, Snyder, and uh, Gray, as his name was. Uh, they, they murdered our, her husband around 1928, and um, what happened is he, he was incompetent. She ratted him out, and then she got the electric chair, and there's actually a picture of her that the Daily News snuck into the chamber when they electrocuted her, and the, the guy had a camera attached to his leg and took a picture of her, her getting fried. That was, it was, was Barbara, wait, who was in the movie Barbara now? Stanwyck, Fred McMurray, Murray, Edward G. Robinson. Stanwyck, and the husband was Edward G. Robinson? Uh, no, the uh, husband was somebody else. Edward G. Robinson played Fred McMurray's boss. Okay, but the husband was the dupe. They, in, in real life, this is a true story, they tried to kill him four times and failed the first three. Four times? They tried to sp- spike his drink, he, he didn't die. They tried to, uh, he was fixing his car, and they, they kicked the jacket, as long as it didn't kill him. The guy should realize at that point, he was, his wife trying to kill him. Yeah. He figured that out, huh? Well, when he died, he figured it out. <laughs> but that, that movie, Double Indemnity, was based on the roots, Brown Snyder, uh, oh. something great, if you the first name case. That's well, one of my earlier books. We gotta take a 60-second break to take some blood samples and kick a jack out from under a car. We'll be right back on True Crime Uncensored. Uncensored with Joe Bruno.
or bird shit. Not just what you read on your internet since I don't have one. I do everything bass backwards anyway. Why can't I, re- I do that? Good story. In the days of old, we would repair to a bar after a game and tell stories and recapture the game. Like... It's a totally different animal today as a fighter. Philosopher. It's a good thing there's gun control in, the state, in my state. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have bought a rifle and shot myself. <laughs> I took Trigger Ray Leonard to beat Marvin Hagler in that fight, and uh, Marvin and I were dear friends. We used to go out to the wives and everything, and he wouldn't talk to me for a month. And a patient guy. Look who he has to talk to. Bird Sugar is brought to you by Emerald Queen Casino. Hi, this is Zach Gustine, and if you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. See that, Mike? You stay on script. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star, Mark C.G. Boyer, our producer, Magic Matt Allen, a.k.a. Mr. Cigar. And on the phone, Joe Bruno has written 36 books, have four novels, and the rest, I think, are all mob books. Except the Rosenbergs and except the... I wrote a book called The Wrong Man about the, the murder of the century in 1912 where New York City Police Connect, uh, Detective Becker was, was uh, convicted and executed for killing a, uh, a gambler that he actually didn't kill. Well, that's not fair. So, it was a crime of the century, 1912. So in 1912, so, so O.J. was not the crime of the century. <laughs> yeah, I would have been down on them I had a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we just, uh, before we uh, came here for the show, we were with uh, John DeMore, who uh, wrote the book, The uh, The Boss Always Sits in the Back, and someone asked him about The Sopranos, and he was saying how he go, would go back to Jersey, and the guys would watch The Sopranos like you'd watch Ed Sullivan for comedy entertainment. I noticed you were a Sopranos fan, also a fan of my current uh, Half the guys in the movie from my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy, you know Michael Imperioli that plays Christopher? Yeah. He was a busboy in Forlini's restaurant at 96 Baxter Street in the 80s. A busboy, not even a waiter. Huh. Well, at least he had work. James Gondolfini was the bartender slash manager of Private Eyes, a nightclub on 24th Street. Then there's a few guys. My friend Chacha is still there. You know, Chacha's on 113 Mulberry. He was the last two years of The Sopranos. And believe me, everybody watched that show religiously. Now, how about The Blacklist? I love that. It's my favorite program. Yeah, mine too. 
Yeah, your programs. It's true. Ace Vader. Yeah, it's oh, incredible. I love it. He not won the Emmy. Did. He didn't even get nominated for that. I don't understand that. I think he's absolutely incredible. He in that plays show. that character like a Great. violin. It's he wears it like he wears that hat. Yeah, In fact, yeah. I tape it, so I, I, still got, I still got Thursday's episode to watch. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen this week. Yeah, because I always tape it because I also watch How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal. Thursday. Well, I, you know what? I, I tape everything. I just don't want to see commercials. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes. The scandal's unbelievable. If you don't watch Scandal, it's it, it, Scandal's unbelievable. No. What, what channel is that on? Uh, it's ABC on Thursday night. Scandal. I'm going to give the check. Yeah. yeah, set your DVR to tape both Scandal and uh, Blacklist around the same time. Yeah. Blacklist. Oh, but have you watched The Nick yet? No, uh-uh. Oh, that's what a great program. Where's that? Where's that? Where's that? In 1903 in New York City in a hospital oh, called The yeah, Nick. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rowan plays this junkie doctor, and he, he almost was the best of James Bond. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful program. I saw a special on the making of that, but what, I haven't uh, seen the show yet. What network? HBO, isn't it? Oh. No, it's on... Oh, Jesus, I taped it. It's on it. something strange. You know what? This should be easy. It's on Cinemax. Cinemax. Also, in, in the Blacklist, they actually filmed a scene... It was in last week's or the week before episode on top of Nickelbacker Village where I lived, where the guy jumps off the building. Yeah, yeah. Nickelbacker Village where I oh, lived. There you go. Okay. My yeah, friend right. called me up and said, they're, they're, they're filming it right now. That's a great show. And the guy actually jumped off the building. Um, well, it was Nickelbacker Village is two six building courtyards, and each building is thirteen stories high. The third going to be in the penthouse, and the six buildings in the, you can go from one building to the next to, to the to the roofs, mm-hmm. and you, but not to the other courtyard. But you can go through the cellars and go through from from one building to the only one on the other side is through the cellars. You know, messengers will go on the rooftops. I don't know about in New York, but in Seattle, the the messenger services use the roofs a lot. Well, we used to use the roofs for singing. I'd sing a lot of doo-wop groups in New York City. And we used to use the cellars in Nickelbacker for the echo. And then we used to use the roof, but not in the roof, but just as you get into the stairwell, you get a great echo. Oh, yeah. And then the, what always happened, somebody called, called the guards. We had guards in Nickelbacker. And then you come up, chase us, and we just go to another building. (laughs) (laughs) You can always find another building. It's over them. What always amazed me about New York is that they were able to sell those stair step exercise things. There's got to be 18 billion stairs in New York. Oh, Why I would you have to floor. go buy one? 134 White Street, the corner back opposite the prison called the Tombs. Sixth floor. Now, I moved out of there when I was 16. When you move to Nickelback, they have elevators. But you know what a hike it is to go up six floors? Oh, yeah. Three, four times a day? Plenty. It's going to be a mucho shake. Well, did you hear that noise? That's our swinging western double door, whatever you call them. Oh, by the way, what do you call the red sauce that you put on spaghetti? Gravy. Gravy, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody calls it sauce. I don't know why. Everybody calls it sauce. No, why they call it gravy? No, my, my, uh, my wife's... New York thing, gravy. New York, New York, New York t- Philadelphia. Yeah. You from Philadelphia? My wife's from Boston. She's Italian. Boston, they call they call it uh, gravy there too. Yeah, you betcha. You know the Anjulis? Oh yeah, that's how you wrote a book about them. Yeah, yeah well, I wrote Whitey Bulger, the biggest rat. That's right. Harry Anjulo, sure. Yeah, I know well, all about yeah, him. Anjulo is uh, is uh, our family. Ah, oh. so he got he got ratted out by Bulger. Yep. Yep. That's why I had to wait for him to die to divorce my wife. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. he was in. He got arrested around eighty-five. 
Yeah. Yeah, three, three or four brothers that were with him oh, in the no, gang. There's, there's uh, two brothers. Two brothers? Yeah. I think there's more than two, but only two involved in two the mob. Two involved in the mob, and then I think two that weren't involved. Well, Whitey Bulger, you know, the movie just came out, Black Mist. Did anybody yeah. see it? Yeah, I saw, I saw it. it. They, they talk about, well, horrible. 98, yeah, terrible. But they talk about you 98. You think why horrible? 98 Prince Street in Boston. He with Teresa Stanley for 25 years. When he went on the limb, he went with Teresa Stanley. A month later, she was tired. He brings her back because there's another girlfriend, Catherine Gregg, who he lived for, with for 15 years and then 16 years on the run. Neither ones are in the movie. Well, they were busy. Let me, <laughs> ask, let me ask you something. Why, why, how'd they get them? Because... It, it, very simple. Very simple. They can't, first of all, the FBI didn't want to get them. Of course not. Because they were all involved. Right. Okay, Connolly went, Connolly's still in jail. But 16 years later, a new crew comes in that has no, no fish in the, uh, no skin in the game. Right. So what they did immediately is concentrated on the girlfriend. So what they did was put on uh, America's Most Wanted. Uh, the girlfriend, Janet, she goes to beauty parlors. So just so happened, a, a woman from Iceland, who was Miss Iceland, she was an actress, happened to live in, in, the, in the cold winters in the same place in Santa Monica that the Bulgers lived. And there were Charlie and Catherine Glasgow. And she called up, they got the $2 million, she called her from Iceland. No kidding. And he got, got the $2 million so, reward. I, th- I, I would have bet that the FBI knew where he was the whole time. I don't no, no, I, I don't think that, because I don't think they're that stupid. But uh, well, you know, no, I can no, tell you no, stories no, where they really are stupid. No, but there, there was a payoff. I think they the, just didn't want to. There was too many people involved, and they would all went to jail. I don't know. Listen, we had Tony Thomas, uh, Thompson, who was on the show, a uh, great writer out of England. And there was a, a fellow criminal there who was like, you know, the most wanted, you know, manhunts everywhere. We can't find this guy. He finds the guy living right there in a nice house in London, goes over, knocks on the door. The guy opens it, and Tony says, hello there. I, I, uh, I'm a journalist, and I'd like to interview Mr. Oh, he didn't shoot him. He says, I'd like to interview Mr. So-and-so because I think he's getting a bad rap in the press. And the guy says, well, he's not here right now. Why don't you come in and have a cup of coffee or tea or whatever? And they sat and talked for about 20 minutes. The guy finally, after scoping him out, says, well, as you probably figured out, I'm the guy. What do you want to know? Just, oh, just so tell anybody but, but where I am. He just played his go on the lamb. It's a big uh, city like New York City. And, uh, yeah, he was just, all he'd been living there. You know, I mean, he's been living right in the heart of everything. Well, supposedly there's a manhunt from So uh, Tony got this great exclusive interview with the guy on the condition you don't tell where I live. <laughs> I never would have tried that. The guy would have shot me. Hey, if you had a, if you had a hide in New York, where, where would you go? What would you do? I would, I would just I'd find a place. Easy. Gus, you remember the Gus Farachi story? Gus Farachi on 1988 killed Everett Hatcher, a FBI agent, undercover on a drug deal in Staten Island. And now the whole world is after Gus Farachi. And he goes on the limb, nobody could find him. All, for like two years, he was, he was limbed up on an apartment at 86th Street in uh, First Avenue in Manhattan. <laughs> and the only reason they got him is that the cops told the mob, either you kill him or we're gonna shut down all your joints. Mm. And the mob set him up, the mob killed him. No kidding. But, uh, you, you, wanna, you wanna hire from Tony New York City, you, all you gotta do is get an apartment. And just don't go, don't go out of your apartment too often. Yeah, there was a guy in, uh, I won't mention the town because people are living it. I might get, to get, guy might get busted. But the cops grab him, and he's going to be charged. And uh, he gets away, goes 15 miles away, shaves his head, grows a beard, 
comes back with a different name and gets an apartment across the street from the police station. Oh, that's, that's got to be the safest place in the world. <laughs> and walks by every day waving at the cops. He looks totally different. Never says, as far as I know, he's still there. I tell you, I, I have a friend of mine. His name is Robert Park. I don't know if you know him. He, he does... Uh... Uh, Robert J. Park, he does all these uh, I know him, yeah. gross murders, uh, serial killers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, the FBI, he wrote a book about all the FBI's uh, mistakes. I, I, I personally seen the FBI screw up so bad that it's embarrassing. It's like, it's like the Keystone Cops. FBI stands for famous but incompetent. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they wanted to arrest me for the 9-11 bombing. What? Let me, let, me, uh, let me tell you a story. I lived within half a mile of the World Trade Center all my life. My cousin Jim Ladley died in 9-11. Three of my close friends died in 9-11. But I'm living in Florida at the time. About a month after, the, after 9-11, I got a knock on my front door on the Sunday. And my wife says, it's the FBI. Right? I think she's kidding me. I said, come on, stop fooling around. I opened the door. I showed up a guy with the FBI, FBI jacket. He says, do you own cars such and such and such with a license plate number such and such and such? No, I got a Vietnam veteran on my license plates. I opened my garage, and I said, this car is my wife's car. Yeah, this car was used by Mohammed Adda, who was one of the, the, the masterminds of 9-11, and he, he registered it in a hotel in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm telling you, I tell you, hey, buddy, I know what you're talking about. I'm a Vietnam veteran. I'm not a terrorist. Well, I just want you to know about... Make a long story short. So now I call up Steve Dunleavy, who's the editor of the New York Post, and I tell him what happened. He writes a big story in the New York Post about Joe Bruno, the Vietnam veteran, is considered a terrorist by the FBI. <laughs> I called the Sarasota Papers. The news services picked it up. It's all over the world. Joe Bruno's a terrorist. I get a phone call from the FBI, the same agent. Mr. Bruno, I want to apologize. We got two numbers inverted by accident. It wasn't yeah. your license plate at all. Duh. <laughs> so I said, let me ask you a question. You can't get a license plate number correct. How are you going to catch the guys that bombed 9-11? <laughs> I have other experiences to do with the mob in New York City. I own the parking lot right in the heart of you know, what we would call mafia territory. Of course I got customers that belong to them. I mean, they got cars, right? They got to park someplace. Yeah. It's the only parking lot in the neighborhood. Right. And there's constantly FBI surveillance in the neighborhood. Constantly. One day I'm sitting in front of my parking lot, and I'm watching this guy in a suit go from building to building and ducking into building like Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> he finally gets to my parking lot and he shows me a badge, FBI. I, I, I'm going to clean up what I told him. Well, he basically says, why don't you just stamp FBI on your forehead? <laughs> the whole neighbor saw you doing what you were doing. <laughs> that, and I got more than that. <laughs> but this is, this is a horrible organization. Yeah, well, like I said, Georgia Durante said she was more worried about the feds than she was the mob because the feds were laundering money for the mob. And don't forget, they're the law. Yeah, that's scary. They put you in jail. And they, they, I'm the FBI. Well, you know what was really was a fraud was Yago Hoover. Oh, God. He was a big fraud. He was a, for the years, the mob had, had, him, had him under their thumb because they had pictures of him in compromising situations with, with other men. You called him a fraud. Was that the SCF word you used? Okay. <laughs> fraud. Okay. Fraud, yeah. Oh, okay. The FBI was, I mean, he was a known you know, homosexual. Yeah. And his, Clyde Tolson, his, his second in command was his lover. 
and uh, they had pictures of them, both of them, you know, dressed in women's clothes, and so for years they denied the existence of the mafia until the Appalachian thing in 1957, where like 80 mobs were arrested upstate New York at a meeting. Right. Now, at that point, who can't deny there's a mafia anymore? Right. It was also writing love letters to Hitler's boys. Well, you know, they were buried within, I read this in one of my books, I forget which one. They're buried within 10 feet of each other in some grave so they can still hold hands if they want. <laughs> that's, that's so touching and romantic. <laughs> oh, God. Not that there's anything wrong with it. No, not that there's anything wrong well, with it. There isn't, there isn't anything wrong with it. But in those days, it was unheard of. Yeah, well, yeah, well you yeah. just didn't talk about it. Yeah, like you didn't talk about a cure for syphilis because polite people he don't talk about that. He was so far in the closet, he was in the closet in the next block from where we lived. <laughs> The uh, uh, what was it? The uh, the the message he got from uh, from Hitler saying, "Run for president. I'll send over some troops to make sure you win the election." <laughs> Hoover? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, he's a total fraud. The FBI is a total fraud. I hate to say that because they're probably bugging my telephone right now. But so, uh, it's, just, it's just embarrassing how incompetent they are. Joe, go, go, let's go back to Hoover and, and the beginning of the FBI. And where did it, it? So you're saying it went wrong on day one? No, actually, it, was, it wasn't called the FBI. It was called something else. I forget what the name was. It wasn't changed. It was the Investigations Committee or something like that. And from the beginning, he basically uh, created the myth of these G-men, these these uh, mob busters. They called them G-men and stuff like that. And, for instance, you know who Louis Lepke Buckholder is? So, hang, hang on real quick. That's where the G-string came from? <laughs> yeah, G-string theory. Yeah. You know Louis Lepke Buckholder? Yeah. He was the head of Murder Incorporated. He was on the land for four years in New York City. And the mob in Louisiana told me, you got to give yourself up because they're closing down our operations. So he contacted the columnist and radio host called uh, Walter Winchell. Mm-hmm. And... He set it up where Hoover wanted to be there to put, actually put the cuffs on Lepke. Hoover set things up where he looked like the gangbusters when he had nothing to do with it. Right. Now, this myth was created going back to the 30s, and it's, I guess, I mean, nowadays it's a different FBI than it was 30, 40 years ago. I'm just hoping maybe they got some competent people in there, but I wouldn't bet on it. <laughs> Hey, Joe. Yes, sir. Thank you very, very much, and we hope to have you back. I mean, you back. Got Could I have a martini numbers. now? What was that? Could I make a martini now? Yeah, you can make two martinis and uh, drink one in our honor. All right, guys, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. All Joe, right, buddy. Joe Bruno, buy all of his books, buy them, read them, believe them. Hey, Bruno. Yeah. What's next? We are with Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence on Outlaw Radio, standard of a beleaguered and tempest industry.